0: Section 1 of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ed Villines. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume 3. The Great Explorers and Travelers of the 19th Century by Jules Verne. First Part, Chapter 1. The dawn of a century of discovery. One. Slackness of discovery during the struggles of the republic and empire. Seetzen's voyages in Syria and Palestine. How ran and the circumnavigation of the Dead Sea. Decapolis. Journey in Arabia. Burckhardt in Syria. Expeditions in Nubia upon the two branches of the Nile. Pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina. The English in India. Webb at the source of the Ganges. Narrative of a journey in the Punjab. Christie and Pottinger in Sindh. The same explorers crossed Baluchistan into Persia. Elphinstone in Afghanistan. Persia, according to Gardane, A. Duprey Morier. Macdonald Kinnear Price and Owsley Guldenstadt and Klaproth in the Caucasus Lewis and Clark in the Rocky Mountains Raffles in Sumatra and Java a sensible diminution in geographical discovery marks the close of the eighteenth and the beginning of the nineteenth centuries we have already noticed the organization of the expedition sent in search of la Perouse by the French Republic and also Captain Baudin's important cruise along the Australian coasts. These are the only instances in which the unrestrained passions and fratricidal struggles of the French nation allowed the government to exhibit interest in geography, a science which is especially favored by the French. At a later period, Bonaparte consulted several savants and distinguished artists, and the materials for that grand undertaking which first gave an idea, incomplete though it was, of the ancient civilization of the land of the pharaohs were collected together but when Bonaparte had completely given place to Napoleon the egotistical monarch sacrificing all else to his ruling passion for war would no longer listen to explorations voyages or possible discoveries they represented money and men stolen from him and his expenditure of those materials was far too great to allow of such futile waste this was clearly shown when he ceded the last remnants of French colonial rule in America to the United States for a few millions. Happily, other nations were not oppressed by the same iron hand. Absorbed although they might be in their struggle with France, they could still find volunteers to extend the range of geographical science, to establish archaeology upon scientific bases, and to prosecute linguistic and ethnographical enterprise. The learned geographer Malta in an article published by him in the Nouvelle Annale des Voyage in 1817, gives a minute account of the condition of French geographical knowledge at the beginning of the 19th century and of the many desiderata of that science. He reviews the progress already made in navigation, astronomy, and languages. The India Company, far from concealing its discoveries, as jealousy had induced the Hudson Bay Company to do, founded academies, published memoirs, and encouraged travelers. War itself was utilized, for the French army gathered a store of precious material in Egypt. We shall shortly see how emulation spread among the various nations. From the commencement of the century, one country has taken the lead in great discoveries. German explorers have worked so earnestly and have proved themselves possessed of will so strong and instinct so sure that they have left little for their successors to do beyond verifying and completing their discoveries. The first in order of time was Ulrich Jesper Sietzen, born in 1767 in East Friesland. He completed his education at Göttingen and published some essays upon statistics and the natural sciences for which he had a natural inclination. These publications attracted the attention of the government, and he was appointed Outlook Counselor in the province of Tver. Seetzen's ambition, like that of Burckhardt subsequently, was an expedition to Central Africa, but he wished previously to make an exploration of Palestine and Syria, to which countries attention was shortly to be directed by the Palestine Association, founded in London in eighteen o five. Seetzen did not wait for this period, but in eighteen o two set out for Constantinople, furnished with suitable introductions. Although many pilgrims and travelers had successfully visited the Holy Land in Syria, the vaguest notions about these countries prevailed. Their physical geography was not determined, details were wanting, and certain regions, as for example the Lebanon and the Dead Sea, had never been explored. Comparative geography did not exist. It has taken the unwearied efforts of the English Association and the science of travelers in connection with it to erect that study into a science Seetzen, whose studies had been various found himself admirably prepared to explore a country which often visited was still in reality new having traveled through Anatolia Seetzen reached Aleppo in May 1802 he remained there a year devoting himself to the practical study of the Arabic tongue making extracts from Eastern historians and geographers verifying the astronomical position of Aleppo, prosecuting his investigations into natural history, collecting manuscripts, and translating many of those popular songs and legends which are such valuable aids to the knowledge of a nation. Sitzen left Aleppo in 1805 for Damascus. His first expedition led him across the provinces of Hauran and Jowlin, situated to the southeast of that town. No traveler had as yet visited these two provinces, which, in the days of Roman dominion, had played an important part in the history of the Jews, under the names of Auronitis and Golanitis. Seetzen was the first to give an idea of their geography. The enterprising traveler explored the Lebanon and Baalbek. He prosecuted his discoveries south of Damascus and entered Judea, exploring the eastern portion of Hermon, the Jordan, and the Dead Sea. This was the dwelling place of those races well known to us in Jewish history, the Ammonites, Moabites, and Gileadites. At the time of the Roman conquest, the western portion of this country was known as Perea, and was the center of the celebrated Decapolis, or Confederacy of Ten Cities. No modern traveler had visited these regions, a fact sufficient to induce Seetzen to begin his exploration with them. His friends at Damascus had tried to dissuade him from the journey, by picturing the difficulties and danger of a route frequented by Bedouins, but nothing could stay him. Before visiting the Decapolis region and investigating the condition of its ruins, Seetzen traversed a small district named Ladshah, which bore a bad reputation at Damascus on account of the Bedouins who occupied it, but which was said to contain remarkable antiquities leaving Damascus on the 12th of December, 1805, with an Armenian guide who misled him from the first. Seetzen, having prudently provided himself with a passport from the Pasha, proceeded from village to village, escorted by an armed attendant. In a narrative published in the earlier de Voyage, says the traveller, That portion of Lacha which I have seen is, like Halran, entirely formed of basalt, often very porous, and in many districts forming vast stony deserts. The villages, which are mostly in ruins, are built on the sides of the rocks. The black color of the basalt, the ruined houses, the churches and towers fallen into decay, with the total dearth of trees and verdure, combine to give a somber aspect to this country, which strikes one almost with dread. In almost every village are either Grecian inscriptions, columns, or other remnants of antiquity amongst others i copied an inscription of the emperor marcus aurelius here as in howran the doors were of basalt Seetzen had scarcely arrived at the village of Garassa and enjoyed a brief rest before he was surrounded by half a score of mounted men who said they had come by order of the vice-governor of howran to arrest him their master omar Aga, having learned that the traveller had been seen in the country the preceding year and imagining his passports to be forgeries, had sent them to bring him before him. Resistance was useless. Without allowing himself to be disconcerted by an incident which he regarded as a simple contretemps, Seetzen proceeded in the direction of Howran, where, after a day and a half's journey, he met with Omar Aga, traveling with the Mecca caravan. The travelers, having received a hearty welcome, departed on the morrow, but meeting upon his way with many troops of arabs upon whom his demeanor imposed respect he came to the conclusion that it had been omar Aga's intention to have him robbed returning to damascus Seetzen had great trouble in finding a guide who would accompany him in his expedition along the eastern shore of the jordan and around the dead sea at last a certain yusuf al milki a member of the Greek church, who, for some thirty years, had carried on traffic with the Arab tribes, and traveled in the provinces which Seetzen desired to visit, agreed to bear him company. The two travelers left Damascus on the 19th of January, 1806. Seetzen's entire baggage consisted of a few clothes, some indispensable books, paper for drying plants, and an assortment of drugs, necessary to sustain his assumed character as a physician. He wore the dress of a sheikh of second rank. The districts of Rashaya and Hasbaya at the foot of Mount Hermon, whose summit at the time was hidden by snow, were the first explored by Seetzen for the reason that they were the least known in Syria. He then visited Acha, a village inhabited by the Druzes upon the opposite side of the mountain. Rashaya, the residence of the emir and Hasbaya, where he paid a visit to the Greek bishop of Zur, or Zeda, to whom he carried letters of recommendation. The object which chiefly attracted his attention in this mountainous district was an asphalt mine, whose produce is there used to protect the vines from insects. Leaving Hasbaya, Seetzen proceeded to Benias, the ancient Cassera Philippi, which is now a mere collection of huts. Even if traces of its fortifications were discoverable, not the smallest remains could be found of the splendid temple erected by Herod in honor of Augustus. Ancient authorities hold that the river of Benias is the source of the Jordan, but in reality that title belongs to the river Hasbani, which forms the larger branch of the Jordan. Seetzen recognized it, as he also did the lake of Meron, or the ancient Semachonitis, here he was deserted by his muleteers, whom nothing could induce to accompany him so far as the bridge of Yiser Banat Yakub, and also by his guide Yusuf, whom he was forced to send by the open road to await his arrival at Tiberias, while he himself proceeded on foot toward the celebrated bridge, accompanied by a single Arab attendant. He, however, found no one at Yser Benat Ya'qub who was willing to accompany him along the eastern shore of the Jordan, until a native, believing him to be a doctor, begged him to go and see his sheikh, who was suffering from ophthalmia, and who lived upon the eastern bank of the lake of Tiberias. Sitsin gladly availed himself of this opportunity, and it was well he did so, for he was thus enabled to study the lake of Tiberias and also the wadi zimak at his leisure not however without risk of being robbed and murdered by his guide finally he reached tiberias called by the arabs tabaria where he found yusuf who had been waiting for him for several days the town of tiberias says Seetzen, is situated upon the lake of the same name upon the land side it is surrounded by a good wall of cut basalt rock but nevertheless, it scarcely deserves to be called a town. No trace of its earlier splendor remains, but the ruins of the more ancient city, which extended to the Thermae, a the league to the eastward, are recognizable. The famous Jazar Pasha caused a bath to be erected above the principal spring. If these baths were in Europe, they would rival all those now existing. The valley in which the lake is situated is so sheltered and so warm that dates, lemon trees, oranges, and indigo flourish there, whilst on the high ground surrounding it the products of more temperate climates might be grown. Southwest of the lake are the remains of the ancient city of Tarakaea. There, between two mountain chains, lies the beautiful plain of El Gore, poorly cultivated and overrun by Arab hordes. No incident of moment marked Seetzen's journey to Decapolis, during which he was obliged to dress as a mendicant to escape the rapacity of the native tribes. Over my shirt, he relates, I wore an old cambass, or dressing-gown, and above that a woman's ragged chemise. My head was covered with rags, and my feet with old sandals. I was protected from cold and wet by an old ragged abaje, which I wore across my shoulders, and a stick cut from a tree served me as a staff. My guide, who was a Greek Christian, was dressed much in the same style, and together we scoured the country for some ten days, often hindered in our journey by chilling rains which wetted us to the skin. For my part, I travelled an entire day in the mud with bare feet. Because I could not wear my sandals upon sodden ground. Draa, which he reached a little further on, presented but a mass of desert ruins, and no trace of the monuments which rendered it famous in earlier days were visible. El Bauten, the next district, contains hundreds of caverns hewn in the rocks which were occupied by the ancient inhabitants. It was much the same at Seetzen's visit that emkes was formerly a rich and important city is proved by its many ruined tombs and monuments tzitzin identified it with gadara one of the minor towns of the decapolis some leagues beyond are the ruins of abil or abila tzitzin's guide eosir refused to go there being afraid of the arabs the traveller was therefore obliged to go alone this town he says is entirely in ruins and abandoned not a single building remains but its ancient splendor is sufficiently proved by ruins traces of the old fortifications remain and also many pillars and arches of marble basalt and granite beyond the walls i found a great number of pillars two of them were of an extraordinary size Hence, I concluded that a large temple had formerly existed there. On leaving El Botton, Seetzen entered the district of Edschloon, and speedily discovered the important ruins of Jerash, which may be compared with those of Palmyra and Baalbek. It is difficult to conjecture, says Seetzen, how this town, which was formerly so celebrated, has hitherto escaped the attention of antiquarians. It is situated in an open plain, which is fertile, and watered by a river. Several tombs with fine bas reliefs arrested my attention before I entered it. Upon one of them I remarked a Greek inscription. The walls, which were of cut marble, are entirely crumbled away, but their length, over three quarters of a league, is still discernible. No private house has been preserved but I remarked several public buildings of fine architectural design. I found two magnificent amphitheaters constructed of solid marble, the columns, niches, etc., in good condition, a few palaces, and three temples, one of the latter having a peristyle of twelve large Corinthian pillars, of which eleven were still erect. In one of these temples I found a fallen column of the finest polished Egyptian granite. Beside these, I found one of the city gates, formed of three arches, and ornamented with pilasters, in good preservation. The finest of the remains is a street adorned throughout its length with Corinthian columns on either side, and terminating in a semicircle, which was surrounded by sixty ionic columns, all of the choicest marble. This street was crossed by another, and at the junction of the two, large pedestals of wrought stone occupied each angle. Probably in former times these bore statues. Much of the pavement was constructed of hewn stone. Altogether I counted nearly two hundred columns, still in a fair state of preservation, but the number of these is far exceeded by those which have fallen into decay, for I saw only half the extent of the town and, in all probability, the other half beyond this was also rich in remarkable relics. From Seetzen's description, Gerash would appear to be identical with the ancient Gerasa, a town which up to that time had been erroneously placed on the maps. The traveler crossed Gerka, the Jabbok of Jewish history, which forms the northern boundary of the country of the Ammonites, and penetrated into the district of El Belka, formerly a flourishing country, but which he found uncultivated and barren, with but one small town, Zalt, formerly known as Amathus. Afterwards, Sitsun visited Amman, a town which, under the name of Philadelphia, is renowned among the Decapolitan cities, and where many antiquities are to be found. Elal, an ancient city of the Amorites, Adaba, called Madba in the time of Moses, Mount Nebo, Diban, Karak, the country of the Moabites, and the ruins of Rabbah, Rabath, anciently the royal residence. After much fatigue, he reached the region situated at the southern extremity of the Dead Sea, named Gor S. Sophia. The heat was extreme, and great salt plains, where no watercourses exist, had to be crossed. Upon the 6th of April... Seetzen arrived in Bethlehem, and soon afterwards at Jerusalem, having suffered greatly from thirst, but having passed through most interesting countries, hitherto unvisited by any modern traveler. He also collected much valuable information respecting the nature of the waters of the Dead Sea, refuted many false notions, corrected mistakes upon the most carefully constructed maps, identified several sites of the ancient Perea, and established the existence of numberless ruins which bore witness to the prosperity of all this region under the sway of the roman empire upon the twenty fifth of june eighteen o six season left jerusalem and returned to saint jean d'arc by sea in an article in the revue germanique for eighteen fifty eight monsieur venin speaks of his expedition as a veritable journey of discovery Seetzen, however, was unwilling to leave his discoveries incomplete. Ten months later, he again visited the Dead Sea, and added largely to his observations. From thence he proceeded to Cairo, where he remained for two years, and bought a large portion of the Oriental manuscripts which now enrich the library of Gotha. He collected many facts about the interior of the country, choosing instinctively those only which could be amply substantiated. Seetzen, with his insatiable thirst for discovery, could not remain long in repose, far removed from idleness though it was. In April 1809, he finally left the capital of Egypt and directed his course towards Suez and the peninsula of Sinai, which he resolved to explore before proceeding to Arabia. At this time, Arabia was a little-known country, frequented only by merchants trading in mocha coffee beans. Before Niebuhr's time, no scientific expedition for the study of the geography of the country or the manners and customs of the inhabitants had been organized. This expedition owed its formation to Professor Michaelis, who was anxious to obtain information which would throw light on certain passages in the Bible, and its expenses were defrayed by the generosity of King Frederick V of Denmark. It comprised von Hannen, the mathematician, Forskall, the naturalist, a physician named Kramer, Braranfeind, the painter, and Niebuhr, the engineer, a company of learned and scientific men who thoroughly fulfilled all expectations founded upon their reputations. In the course of two years, from 1762 to 1764, they visited Egypt, Mount Sinai, Jeddah, landed at Loheya and advancing into Arabia Felix, explored the country in accordance with the specialty of each man. But the enterprising travellers succumbed to illness and fatigue, and Niebuhr alone survived to utilize the observations made by himself and his companions. His work on the subject is an inexhaustible treasury, which may be drawn upon in our day with advantage. Seetzen therefore, had much to achieve to eclipse the fame of his predecessor. He omitted no means of doing so. After publicly professing the faith of Islam, he embarked at Suez for Mecca and hoped to enter that city disguised as a pilgrim. Tor and Jeddah were the places visited by him before he traveled to the holy city of Mecca. He was much impressed by the wealth of the faithful and the peculiar characteristics of that city which lives for and by the mohammedan cultus. i was seized says the traveller with an emotion which i have never experienced elsewhere it is alike unnecessary to dwell upon this portion of the voyage and upon that relating to the excursion to medina burckhardt's narrative gives a precise and trustworthy account of those holy places and besides there remain of Seetzen's works only the extracts published in Les de des Voyages, and in the correspondence of the Baron de Zac. The Journal of Sietzen's Travels was published in German, and in a very incomplete manner, only in 1858. The traveler returned from Medina to Mecca, and devoted himself to a secret study of the town with its religious ceremonies, and taking astronomical observations, which determined the position of the capital of Islam. Seetzen returned to Jeddah on the 23rd of March, 1810. He then re-embarked, with the Arab who had been his guide to Mecca, for Hodaida, which is one of the principal ports of Yemen. Passing the mountainous district of Bayat al-Faki, where coffee is cultivated, after a month's delay at Duran on account of illness, Seetzen entered Sana the capital of Yemen, which he calls the most beautiful city of the East, on the 2nd of June. Upon the 22nd of July, he reached Aden, and in November he was at Mecca, whence the last letters received from him are dated. Upon re-entering Yemen, he, like Nibur, was robbed of his collection and baggage upon the pretext that he collected animals in order to compose a filter with the intention of poisoning the springs. Seetzen, however, would not quietly submit to Burad. He started at once for Sana, intending to lay a complaint before the Iman. This was in December 1811. A few days later, news of his sudden death arrived at Tais, and the tidings soon reached the ears of the Europeans who frequented the Arabian ports. It is little to the purpose now to inquire upon whom the responsibility of this death rests, whether upon the Iman or upon those who had plundered the traveler, but we may well regret that so thorough an explorer, already familiar with the habits and customs of the Arabs, was unable to continue his explorations, and that the greater portion of his diaries and observations have been entirely lost. Seetzen says Monsieur Vivien de Saint-Martin, was the first traveler since Ludovico Barthima, 1503, who visited Mecca, and before his time no European had even seen the holy city of Medina consecrated by the tomb of the prophet. From these remarks we gather how invaluable the trustworthy narrative of this disinterested and well-informed traveller would have been. Just as an untimely death ended seetzen's self-imposed mission, Burckhardt set out upon a similar enterprise, and like him commenced his long and minute exploration of Arabia. By preliminary travel through syria it is seldom in the history of science says monsieur vivien de saint martin that we see two men of such merit succeed each other in the same career or rather continue it for in reality burckhardt followed up the traces seats had opened out and seconded for a considerable time by favourable circumstances which enabled him to prosecute his explorations he was enabled to add very considerably to the known discoveries of his predecessor. End of section 1